And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 23 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic today. You know, we're down to single digits of you know, the season starting. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just an exciting time of the year. And hopefully everything gets kicked off in a, in a good way. How about yourself, Chris? How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Uh, before we get too in-depth into the show, just wanted to uh, you know pass along our condolences to you know the UT Martin family and especially you know Coach Anthony Stewart you know and his family you know as, uh, he tragically uh, you know you know passed away this week and just wanted to let everybody know our condolences and prayers are you know with his family and the UT Martin family and you know everybody that knew him you know going through these trying times. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, there's a guy. I think he spent a year at SIU. I want to say it was 2011, 2012. But you know, so there's the cross uh, conference connection, and it's just one of those things. I think as you get older, ages uh, seem to be younger and younger. He was only 50 years old, and it was definitely a shocker to everybody that you know anything I've seen posted. Uh, but really, uh, a tragic moment, and uh, you hope that you know his family's doing okay first and foremost. So again. So, but trying to get things going here, uh, not doing too bad, TJ, uh, really looking forward to, you know, college basketball getting here. It seems like as each day goes by, things are looking more and more, you know, like it, we're going to get out of this, uh, this kind of gray zone. You know, you see a lot of the, you know, the coronavirus stuff and how stuff's being postponed here. Programs are being postponed. But as each day goes by, we get closer and closer to that uh, starting point from what we've heard. So hopefully uh, that starting point is not going to be backed up any further for, you know, all the college basketball fans. Uh, at the same time, we still want everybody to stay healthy and, you know, want it done, you know, the correct way. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, I think we have to definitely be prepared that it's not going to be a smooth season. It's not like, you know, we're going to start next Wednesday and everything's going to start rolling as easily as possible. It was going to be start and stops, like especially if we've seen, you know, with college football here in the past few weeks where, you know, there's some big time games. I think you'll see some creative uh, scheduling because I think basketball lends itself to be a little more fluid in terms of, you know, hey, we lost the game and we know this other team lost the game. Maybe we can get that scheduled. And, you know, maybe you'll run into some more, hey, you know, we especially in conference play where you're playing home and homes, like, hey, we were supposed to play it. We missed that game. When we come to your place, is there a way we can, you know, play the next day? Like we'll we'll bring our home jerseys as well. We'll flip the next day, or you know, uh, I can see you played Indiana State one day, and you have to make up a game with Evansville the next or two days later, and it's not going to be ideal. But uh, you know, the powers that be, hopefully, they'll be able to get creative and get some of those games in that we'll miss from time to time. So getting into this episode, TJ, uh, we're gonna we'll go over some of the college basketball news and notes, maybe outside of the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, Kevin Sweeney of CBBCentral.com will join the show. He'll get in-depth on his Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley Conference previews. And then we'll also give you some of our team previews during this week's episode, as last week uh, TJ did two from the Missouri Valley and I did two from the Ohio Valley side. So getting things started, TJ, uh, I think it was what just earlier today, and you know we're recording on Tuesday, November 17th, uh, it was shown that Greg Marshall and Wichita State had you know, basically parted ways, and I think the correct way of saying it was uh, Greg Marshall had resigned, but still, right. still walked away with a you know, hefty buyout. Yep. Uh, heck of a lawyer, I guess I'd say. You know, gets $7.75 million to be paid out over the next handful of years. And, uh, you know, given the accusations and that, you know, that people were willing to go on the record and say what, you know, they, they felt that Coach Marshall had done, I thought Wichita State was going to be able to walk away from this without any sort of buyout. So, you know, I saw $7.75 million this morning or this afternoon. I was shocked. I don't know. What were your thoughts on it? I was shocked, uh, specifically just due to, you know, all the, you know, you know, accusations that have been floating around out there. But 
I just with with everything going on and you know it, it being 2020, maybe if something like this happened, you know, maybe in 2000, 20 years ago or something like that, maybe I still could have seen the buyout. But now with you know all the you know technology, how how in depth everything is these days, I was I was surprised, especially you know seeing that how many people you know or players or coaches you know basically came forward. Obviously, most of them were you know you know kept their name out of it but they basically said yeah he he did this or he did that and so that's where it really kind of surprised me that they he was still able to get that big buyout clause yeah and you know in wichita state moved quickly they've already moved isaac brown into uh the head coaching position and you know he's been there for a while he's uh, 19 years as a division one coach uh, he's been an assistant louisiana tech arkansas state Arkansas, South Alabama, and been at Wichita State since 2014. So, you know, through some of their great years, and by all accounts that the former players really liked Coach Brown. So it'll be interesting to see what the transition is here. Hopefully that's a smooth one for uh, Wichita State and uh, have some success under Coach Brown as well. So staying, staying outside of the MVC and OVC here for a minute, uh, I think it was we just saw where you know the NCAA basically said they're going to try and keep you know basically the NCAA tournament March Madness all at one location. You know what were your thoughts on seeing that news uh, surface? I think you had to expect it was going to come with the success that the NBA had with their bubble and uh, being able to keep it contained because you're talking about you know age group of people you know college kids very social are they going you know when they're going to class and stuff like that i think that's a question that's going to have to be answered but you know we've seen more and more schools that are doing classes almost exclusively on zoom and stuff like that so if they do go to a, a central location you know over that you know two or three week period those kids are you know taking classes well we see them play on the weekends basically during the ncaa tournament how do they get their classes addressed and stuff like that where they're not traveling as much but i think you had to come up with something in order to kind of try and find a way through this because i think letting them travel back and forth and all over the country was definitely going to be a recipe for disaster in terms of keeping the tournament flowing in the right direction so i mean the city i heard floated out there was indianapolis and i'm a big fan of the city of indianapolis Uh, even just from a tourist perspective like getting around their downtown area is pretty uh, seamless and they have uh, lots of ways that you can get through several parts of town without ever going outside in case there's inclement weather. And obviously you have Lucas Oil Stadium, which would be you know, comparable to you know where they've had other NCAA Final Fours because they've had one there. And But is that as important? Because I don't know how many people you're going to let in. You're not going to have 100,000 people there if you're working inside of a bubble for the whole tournament. Sure. I don't know. What, what were your thoughts? What did you think about it? From a you know, logical standpoint and common sense, I think it makes, you know, perfect sense. You know, it's basically the same kind of pattern that we would have seen from, you know, the NBA being basically in a bubble. So this is to me sort of like a bubble as well. So from from a standpoint of trying to keep everybody healthy and, you know, being able to have that March Madness this year that we didn't get to see last year, I'm all for it. Do whatever you have to do to keep it, keep it safe while also being able to put that same product out there you know, even if it is just at one location. From an economical standpoint, I think it hurts. You know, it hurts some of them cities. And that's where that's an area where I just kind of question and wonder how do they do that going forward? Now, obviously, you know, this probably wasn't in, in a lot in a lot of the contract clauses because nobody would have saw this, you know, this COVID happening. So nobody really planned for it. But you look at, you know, last year. You know, not all the conference tournaments finished. You know, I'll use St. Louis as an example. You know, St. Louis was supposed to host part of that NCAA tournament for one of the regions, and, you know, obviously that didn't get to happen. So if that didn't get to happen for, you know, St. Louis, you know, last year, let's say, you know, there may have been talks that it could have been in St. Louis this coming year. Okay, well, if that backfires, how do they work that out you know, for the future, you know, because most most of these uh, cities, they have contracts, you know, a couple years in advance. So, you know, is, 
you know, for example, at St. Louis, just out of luck until that next vacancy opens up maybe eight years down the road? Or are they going to try and work something into where, okay, St. Louis jumps in front of, you know, San Diego this year because San Diego was a late ad, you know, and then they just right. bu- then they just push every every uh, other city back a year. Yeah, I, I I'd have to imagine that they're just you're just out of luck and you know try again next time. I'm sure, given the the experience of the NCAA, that they have some sort of uh, plan set up for or you know something working in the contract in case something happens. Well, obviously, they didn't say you know in case there's a pandemic that happens. They probably have some sort of uh, alternative plans for those things. But again, you know, cities were counting on them. They were already promoting them big time. You know, we, we knew that here in, in the St. Louis area. And like you said, then all of a sudden, like, oh, sorry, guys, you can't do it. And everybody understood at that time. But how does that hurt you moving forward and trying to garner bids? Is it still seen as uh, an economic opportunity for those cities if they think, hey, what happens if we put, you know, our resources into this and it's all for naught again? So, but, you know, going back to the original point, I, I think this is something for right now until, you know, we have good remedies and vaccines out there that we can function like we had before 2020. It should probably have to, you know, put into play for now. And hopefully your partners understand when it comes to that and, you know, are still willing to be there once things return to normal, hopefully. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it just makes common sense you know, with everything going on and, you know, most people that you ask, they just want to see college basketball or, or watch the game. Doesn't matter what location it's at. So whatever, you know, whatever has to be done to see the sport that people like and, you know, love watching, I think everybody'd be all for it. Right, for sure. So with that, we'll go ahead and bring in Kevin Sweeney uh, from CBBCentral.com as we caught up with him earlier in the week. And we're joined by Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. Can smell college basketball in the air, so can't can't get any better than that. So I'll go ahead and get started here. Uh, you know, first time getting to know you. Uh, if you don't mind sharing with us a story about who you are, how the website CBB Central came to be, and what led to doing all these conference previews available on your website. Yeah, man, it's been it's been quite the ride. Uh, so I so I grew up in uh, Albany, New York, upstate New York, uh, and grew up at the time when you know the programs there, the two D one programs in Albany, uh, CMU Albany, were both really really good. Uh, Albany three uh, one they made it to the NCAA tournament a few times. They pushed UConn in the uh, in a sixteen one game, maybe two thousand seven or so. Uh, and my my family was was really invested in Siena basketball. And uh, Sienna won, made the NCAA tournament three years in a row, uh, won an NCAA tournament game in 08 against Vanderbilt in 09 against Ohio State. Uh, so I just kind of fell in love with with mid-major basketball as, as a kid. I don't think I really understood that it wasn't normal that, you know, random small schools in, you know, in the middle of upstate New York could, you know, win an NCAA tournament game. And, and that wasn't, that didn't seem so crazy to me, but now it, it, it certainly, I certainly appreciate it now. And so, uh about 2016, uh, I started my website um, and, and just dove into, which originally was just covering Northeast mid-majors. And once I came out to, to Evanston, I started really covering covering the whole whole seat. So I've been doing these conference previews every year where I write, uh, you know, 3,000 or so words about every league in America, uh, which is always a lot of fun. And then uh, cover, cover the game throughout the season in any way we can. So it's been, it's been quite the ride. Uh, Gotten, gotten to know a lot of different different teams and a lot of different coaches throughout the business. Uh, my first year here in Chicago was the first year that was the year that Loyola Chicago made the Final Four, uh, and I, I was able I was able to cover a few games there. I was actually the first game I ever ever had a media credential for was the Loyola Chicago game against Samford, and I think uh, I think it was November of 2017, uh, and I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. It was just me and like the Loyola student newspaper kid sitting courtside at, at, at Gentile Arena, and uh, little did I know that that team would wind up in the Final Four. So it's been a fun ride, and uh, no, no, no signs of stopping anytime soon because I'm kind of hooked now. So with you doing all these conference previews, as you've said, you've started to do more and more as you know the years have gone on. Do you find yourself sitting down at night watching like a maybe like a 
Alcorn State game against you know some other mid major whenever if that's the only game televised. Yeah, I'll watch pretty much pretty much any basketball that, that's on your TV. I think uh, as a college student, there's a lot of days where you know there's there's a game on the TV, there's a game on my phone. I'm working on on homework on my laptop with Twitter open as a second tab, so I can bust out a take or two. But uh, I think I think at times, honestly, I'm being so busy, you, you forget about about games, and you say, okay, I can I can miss a night. And I think early on this season, it'll be uh, I think I'll. I'll, I'll appreciate the game being back so much that I don't think I'm taking any nights off. I mean, we're, we're watching whatever's on, whether that's you know, the SWAC, whether that's Duke versus Kentucky, or whatever we can get, we're watching it. So I'll, I think I've always tried to cover, cover everybody and not just, not just the high majors, not just, you know, the, the, the couple, couple conferences. And uh, so, so if that involves me watching a SWAC game on a Monday night, that means me watching a SWAC game on a Monday night. So it certainly does happen. So what kind of work and time goes into creating these conference previews? How do you manage to get the insight on all the teams, you know, around the country? Well, first off, I think I, I, I benefit immensely from the work that, you know, individual you know, bloggers, podcasters, beat writers from newspapers do um, on their own to do you know their own kind of deep dives on, on conferences because Quite frankly, I just can't be an expert on 357 teams. It's just not possible. And I need people to, you know, people are tweeting about, you know, who, who, who the buzz is about in practice and I need people, you know, saying where the waivers are coming from. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a slow process. It's, I think I started writing these in the first week of September once college football actually kicked off. I saw a college sport on the television. I said, I had to get started. And uh, we're, we're, we're wrapping, wrapping it up here in the final couple of days. So, um, you know, it, it takes, takes a lot of time. I'm on Ken Palm a lot, trying to get, get a sense for teams. I'll try to watch as much, a little bit of film on everybody. It helps if I've watched them, you know, somewhat regularly during the season. Uh, and it also helps now that I've, I've built up, um, you know, the following the connections that I have that I can actually speak to some coaches about things as well. And I can text, text someone in the league and say, Hey, you know, what do you think of this? Am I, am I way off base here? Uh, thinking this guy's going to break out. Who did you like last year? Who was tough to prepare for? Uh, you know, little things like that. I think have have helped my previews quite a bit. But you know, could I could I do this alone? Certainly not. Uh, it's, it takes a it takes a village of, of people creating content in the college basketball sphere to produce what I wind up producing at the end of the day, which is you know three thousand, four thousand words, three hundred or so on each team, trying to give you the best uh, best synopsis of of what they're going to look like as I can. So taking a look at your NVC predictions, what ultimately led you to go kind of against what the NVC uh, powers that be uh, picked as Loyola? Well, they picked the UNI to be the champ, but you picked Loyola to come out on top. What ultimately gave them the edge, in your opinion, at the top of the league? It was really close. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to be at that Loyola Northern Iowa game at, at, at Gentile Arena last year. And that was high high level of game as I saw all season long. Um, just two teams so well coached. Um, you know, obviously great shooting on both sides. Star player for each team. But to me, I thought with what Loyola brings in, I think they just have a little bit more upside at the top to get even better than they were a season ago, right? Like they pretty much run every, everything back. Northern Iowa pretty much runs it back. Although they lose Isaiah Brown. Uh, I thought, I just think with Loyola, when you look at, you know, Marquise Kennedy is not done getting better. Like that guy is dynamic. He can play with the ball. I think he's going to have, you know, take a step forward. And then to get back Cooper Kafis, who can really, really shoot the ball, and to add Braden Norris, who uh, is a, a high assist point guard who can who can really shoot it as well. You know, they add two elite shooters to the mix for a team that is already so hard to guard because of how well spaced they are on offense. So, you know, they can have three, four, forty-five. You know, three to four, forty to 45% shooters on the floor at any given time next to Crutwig. And when you have Crutwig down low, you're, you're constantly making a decision. Are you going to double him down in the post and, and, and force him to pass out and potentially an open three, or are you going to let him work one-on-one and he's probably going to score on you? So I think, I think those matchups just made me give Loyola you know, the slight edge, but both of these teams are really good. Both of them are you know, potential at-large caliber teams and, you know, looking, looking very much forward to, uh, the two meetings between those two clubs this season. 
Sometimes last season it felt as though Northern Iowa players seemed to be watching Player of the Year winner A.J. Green play hero ball. How do they keep from getting into that mode this season? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question um, because I think it, it, it can get natural to do that when you have a guy who's as good as A.J. is, right? Like, it wasn't hurting their offensive efficiency. They were the top 25 offense in the country. Uh but I think I think part of it is on AJ as him as a leader. I think he has to sometimes understand. All right, like me taking a fadeaway eighteen footer with fourteen on the shot clock is not the right shot. Right, like he can get that shot anytime he wants it. Uh, and so I think with, with, with him, it's just going to be a thing of how long can you run your sets and make sure that you know you're setting up everything else and then if there's six seven seconds on the shot clock we got a pretty good option and and me isolating i think i think it really does start with him uh and and then trickles down throughout the rest of the roster but you know when when you're as talented as he is it's easy to take over shots but i mean i I remember at the at that little you and i game that i was at i mean i think he took like eight straight shots in, in overtime and he was banged up he had taken that shot to the nose when he fell to the floor and he's obviously not 100 he's still hurling shots and i was like all right you, you still have trey burhow you still have austin fife let's get those guys involved uh and, and it just felt like the ball stuck a little bit so without a doubt something that, that he needs to work on but i think it really starts more with him than anyone else on the team especially as, as a leader and you know the son of a coach i think you mentioned in your uh preseason preview talking about uh austin fife and kind of the role that he needs to play and how kind of efficient he and A.J. Green are at, uh, you know, going with a pick and roll. So, you know, I think that that was a great point that you made there that, you know, we can establish him or if they can establish him and really uh, bring Kretwig when they have that matchup, uh, bring him away from the basket and they can really create some problems for them there. So um, hopefully that's something they're able to do because I, I think that'd be, you know, those are the games that you definitely mark on the calendar when you're looking forward to the season. Yeah, without a doubt. I think, and I I think I said this in in my preview as well, like, in any other other league, Austin Fife would be talked about as the best best big in the conference, one of the best players in the conference, you know, superstar, you know, only going to get better because he was only a sophomore last season, right? Like, you know, redshirt sophomore, like, and then he just kind of gets forgotten about because you got Cameron Crowig who can do everything that he does just a little bit better. But, you know, Fife is, Fife is an awesome player. And I think, you know, as, as him and Green continue to build that chemistry, it will only make this offense even, even more difficult to stop. Uh, you know, he, 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 he's special. And I think they need to continue to find ways to get him the ball on the block because, again, he's another guy you cannot double because he can pass out to, you know, some of the best shooters in America. So um, both those teams are just so difficult to defend. Uh, and I think the, they're only going to get tougher with, with the additions around them and the development of each of their games. I think when you look at those two teams, you put Bradley into the mix too because, you know, there's obvious success in the conference tournament. Is there anybody else in the league that you could see kind of as a dark horse that could crack that top three come the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, it feels like there's a, there's a pretty clear drop-off there. I will say I do like Southern Illinois. I picked them fourth, but I think... Uh, and what we saw from Lance Jones down the stretch is really exciting. And he was, you know, you know, a guy who didn't have many offers out of high school, was thrown into the fire right away, had his bumps, really turned it over a lot early on, especially in Valley play. He's kind of adjusting. But you know, down the stretch, he showed what I think will make him special in this league, and that's just the ability to go get a shot. And they needed that guy because I don't think Marcus Domask is a guy you really want, you know, taking 15, 20 shots a game. He's an awesome player. Uh, I think he can be your best player, but I don't know that you want him. I don't think he's a guy who's going to score 18 points a game. And Jones really showed the ability to just say, like, let's clear out him and get one. And, you know, does he need to be more efficient at times? Without a doubt. Does he need to take care of the ball better? Without a doubt. But he's a guy who has so much upside to to become that that second star next to Domas that I think uh, picking them as, as that dark horse is, 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 is certainly worth it. And I also think, when you consider what Brian Mullins has done, I mean, he's so integral to the operational Loyola. Um, you know, he's a he's a coach that I believe in, and I think we'll we'll have this thing really rolling uh, here in the in the next year or two. 
Austin P seems to be the team to beat this year in the Ohio Valley Conference. How well do you think they match up with some of like the other top tier mid major programs, you know, this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's crazy to talk about someone other than Murray and Belmont at the top of this league. And I think when you look around one bid league basketball, so you're thinking a little bit below the Valley, a little bit below Mountain West, A-10, et cetera. I'm not sure there's a one bid league team that I'm buying more stock in than Austin P. Now, part of that is just that I'm so, so dang high on, you know, Mike Peak. I think, you know, I, I've spoken about him at length on, on other shows, but Peak is a guy that I think will be a huge difference maker in this league. He was a, a really good AAU player uh, for, for Mocan Elite. It was a big part of why they won a Peach Jam. Uh, and I think he'll be an awesome fit as a, as a small ball five man uh, in, in the Ohio Valley, uh, as well as his, you know, as well as Corbin Merritt, who will help them defensively because he can protect the rim. Um, they're going to get better at guard, too. They get deeper at guard. Like, this team has all of the makings to be a, you know, 13 seed that you would not want to see in March, 12 seeds you would not want to see in March. Now, there's some stuff to work on, particularly I think on the defensive end. That's where I'm hoping that Merritt can help. That's where I'm hoping that, you know, the year of development with their guards will help them to be a little more aggressive at the point of attack. But, uh, you know, really, really like this group. And I think they're as, they're as talented as anyone here in the uh, in one big league land. Well, you look at Austin P, and you know you have Terry Taylor, who, you know, been basically the best player in the Ohio Valley, you know, last year, and that's what he's been pegged with again this year. And you would think that some teams, you know, they would try and double team him, but Austin P's got a lot of depth this year. So, do you think there's a maybe a difference maker on Austin P that Matt Figger can, you know, turn to maybe off the bench, or maybe maybe one of the other key guys that could step in if, you know, let's say. Taylor gets into foul trouble. That's where I think I think Peak will help them because he's another another guy that you can run offense through at that you know that that four spot, uh, and then you could bring bring in Merritt at the five or Murdy um, Mangazi who's the uh, JUCO transfer. I also think their guards will be better, and that will help them be you know be less reliant on Taylor to. Uh, you know, get 20 every night, right? Like, it's not just going to be Jordan Adams this year. I think Devon McCain is going to be an impact guy. Um, they bring in a kid, Nelton Walker, from Juco World, who can, you know, really create offense and and, and score the ball. So I think I think they'll be a little bit more explosive in the backcourt, which will help assuage things from, from Taylor's perspective. And obviously, when you bring in a guy like Pete, who I think will be a, a double-figure scorer in, in this conference, it also helps to have that, you know, third banana, if you will, with uh, with Taylor and uh, Jordan Adams. So similar to like what we talked about with the MVC, the OVC probably looks even more top heavy than the, the MVC after you get past Austin P, Belmont, and Murray State. Is there anyone uh, that you could see stepping in, and maybe make, making a run in the tournament, even when it comes to uh, the OVC? Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely a drop off after that top three. Um, I think. You, you you really have three that I would highlight as potential ones. I think EKU you know, coming off a, a breakthrough season of sorts for AW Hamilton. They add more talent. Guys like Brandon Knapper uh, as a transfer will, I think, help them in the backcourt. Uh, you have Jacksonville State, which has some questions in the backcourt, but is, is really interesting up front because of the transfers they bring in with Brandon Huffman from North Carolina and Amanzi Ngumezi from, uh, from Georgia. You know, that certainly helps. And they, they're, they're going to be better, I think, in the backcourt, too, with the with the JUCO guys they bring in with Finch and King. Um, but then there's Eastern Illinois, who I think is just kind of hovering around there. Um, you know, so experienced. And I think when you run it back like that in a year like this, you really benefit from that. They get better up front. Sammy Friday is an interesting guy. comes from a team that I watched a whole heck of a lot last year at Siena. I watch him, you know, all the time because of my, uh, my family ties out there. And Sammy's a kid that... Um, you know, began you know began his career had a lot of promise and really struggled you know throughout his career with with keeping you know keeping weight uh, and just keeping weight off. He was you know struggled with the conditioning, um, wasn't always disciplined. And then in the final month and a half or so of his his redshirt junior season for for the Saints, he really poured it on. He really really got it going. Um, you know, he, was, he became a critical piece and a reason why they won a MAC championship and. You know, he could be he could be a difference maker if he comes in with that, that set mindset. If he comes in in shape, uh, he could be a, a really nice piece for them up front. They certainly have 
have some pieces already with with guys like Dixon and um, you know all the guys that they have in this backcourt. So uh, I, I think EIU is a really interesting kind of sleeper choice here for Jay Spooner with all these uh, older guys. Yeah, I like your take on EIU. Uh, actually, we're probably going to be having Coach Spoonhour on here in the next couple episodes. Been in contact with him. So we're looking forward to seeing what he has to say about the upcoming season. But you're right. I mean, he's got one of the oldest teams in college basketball. And I think as of right now, if I've looked at it correctly, you know, they basically opened the season, I think, in that Marquette slash Wisconsin, you know, multi-team event. So they're going to have some tough, tough games to get them ready for conference play and I think with you know this year you know more than ever there's really not going to be that home court advantage for most teams so if you have a lot of you know age or experience on a team I think this is the year where it'll help more than ever for maybe a team that goes in on the road as a slight underdog yeah the the confidence of just knowing the guy next to you I think will be be so huge. I mean, you talk about their team still in the country who, who've been practicing for less than a month, who didn't have a summer, who didn't have the opportunity to you know, work it up. And so when you just have have all that familiarity with, with the system, with each other, I think that will help them immensely, both in the non-conference and once you get that adversity uh, early in conference prep. Like there's always going to be a game and where, it ha- where, 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 where things don't go your way and how do you respond from that? I think just having veterans will be you know, really beneficial. I have to check here. You guys, you guys probably know this. Is the, is the OVC one of the leagues doing the, the single site two games in, in a weekend thing? Uh, I, have, I haven't seen, I haven't it. seen anything about that yet. Okay. Hold on. Let me, let me take a look and see if I can uh, confirm either or deny, but essentially there's a lot of leagues that are doing, um, doing the, essentially you play the Friday and Saturday, right. Um, and, and, and I think those those leagues are very well equipped for 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 teams that are um, very inexperienced or very experienced because you you just need to flush it right like you have a bad game all right flush it go out and play the next day so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look like they're doing it it looks like they're playing a more normal schedule um, but it's certainly um, you know certainly a challenge to to navigate this this unknown season having veterans who are disciplined uh, it is definitely a huge huge benefit. So staying inside the Ohio Valley, uh, how does Belmont overcome the loss of Adam Kunkel? You know, he was arguably Belmont's best shooter last year, basically one of their top-tier players, but he has since transferred to Xavier. So how does Belmont and Coach Casey Alexander basically insert somebody else to step in and be that three-point shooter and uh, team leader? Yeah, it's, it's a massive blow, especially late. And I think the other thing that's somewhat forgotten about with his departure is they also lose Nick Hopkins, uh, who could have been a late, you know, a guy who could plug and play at that at that two guard spot who could handle the ball and shoot it. He was, you know, a key rotation player for three seasons. He grad transferred out to Siena. So um, only Siena text on the podcast, crazy. Uh, but you know, regardless, I think you know they're going to need a little bit more offensively from Grayson Murphy as a scorer. Like he does everything else so dang well, but. You know, can he give you a little bit more juice on that end? I know there's excitement about Jacoby Wood, the freshman, uh, and, and maybe they get something out of Luke Smith, who's the uh, Division Three transfer who can you know, really, really shoot the ball. Um, but you got to trust your, you got to trust your your player development. Um, maybe some of these sophomores like Shepard and Listow can can give you something. But uh, it's it's a massive hole that can't be filled with one guy, and it and it sort of puts damper on on Belmont's uh, conference championship hopes. So given the unpredictability of this upcoming season, does that help leagues like the MVC, the OVC in landing more tournament bids, or do you think that hurts them? I think it will be very, very kind of team and league dependent. So I think if you can play some non-conference games, I know there have been some mid-majors who've gotten into good tournament fields as a result, particularly I know like the Mountain West got a couple teams into uh, to really good events, and Loyola unfortunately had to cancel their their event with with Cincinnati and uh, Duquesne due to the positive tests in their program. But when you get some opportunity, I don't know whether I was think supposed to play in Wisconsin, there will be less opportunities. So I think when you can prove yourself, that will be huge. I think one of the things that will be very very interesting is, you know, if teams play a very short non conference schedule in, in a high major league, uh, they can't inflate their win total as easily. So Let's say you're, you're loyal to Chicago and you're competing with, you know, Maryland for a bid. 
well, Maryland had played 20 Big Ten games, and the Big Ten's going to be a grinder. Maryland's going to be a pretty good team and go 8-12. Right? Right. Like, it's going to be really hard to, it's going to be tough sledding. So I think in that regard, it could help. But at the same time, I think because there will be limited non-conference to really prove out who's good and who's bad, I think there will be, you know, it will, it, it will be very challenging for teams to rewrite their narrative. So like Richmond, for instance, from the Atlantic 10, uh, has has a great great you know preseason buzz. A lot of things, a lot of people voting them top twenty five. If they just do their job, people will still view them as a top twenty five team, even if maybe the numbers don't back it up, uh, like the underlying numbers. Little Chicago and and uh, you and I, I think, are in the same boat there. Right. Uh, but I think it will be very challenging for you know like an OVC team, for instance, to jump up from where they're normally positioned in the national national picture and be seen as an at-large caliber team just because they won't have the opportunities. And I know Austin P doesn't doesn't have a great schedule in terms of getting those opportunities either. So I think the OVC doesn't change. It doesn't change anything for them significantly. I think it changes things a little bit more for the Valley and uh, it's very kind of conditional. It could benefit them. It could hurt them. It's really honestly too soon to tell. So can I stay on the postseason uh, mode? Recently, some rumors came out that they're, Thinking about playing the entire NCAA tournament in Indianapolis in uh, 2021. What are your thoughts on that idea of sending 68 teams to Indy? Well, uh, there, there are plenty of hotels, which certainly helps, and right. plenty of venues to play basketball. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been to Indianapolis a couple of times for 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 Big Ten events, and uh, they certainly know how to put on a show. And so that that, that would help, I think. Look, I think everyone understands and loves the pageantry of the NCAA tournament. Part of that pageantry is going to all these different cities. And honestly, a lot of times they're, you know, second tier, third tier cities, you know, going to Boise, going to Albany, going to Spokane. Like, I mean, that's part of the things that make this this thing great. Uh, but the need, there's need to be proactive right now, right? And will, will the country be in a different spot with the virus come, come March? I think we all hope so. But I don't think it's guaranteed that, that things will be will be easy by then. So not only from a perspective of navigating state and local level restrictions, is it valuable to do it in one site, but it also you know, really simplifies and decreases the number of contacts that these players are going to have in the outside world during that tournament. And the last thing anyone wants is a team to get into the NCAA tournament, win a game, and all of a sudden, okay, we have a positive test. Now what do we do? Do we have to shut down? You know, do 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 we wait until that team's ready to go? Do we forfeit them and they're just done? I don't think we we don't have any experience having to do that in any sport. So I think the need need was there to be proactive, and I credit Dan Gavitt for making the call early to uh, move things to theoretically it will be Indianapolis. It's not guaranteed yet, but I would be very excited if it's anywhere else. And I think that's the the right move given all the contingency planning that that would need to happen otherwise. So kind of stepping aside here from the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley and your college basketball analysis, a uh, question for all of our guests it kind of puts you on the spot for a food recommendation. If we're heading to a game at Northwestern, where should we stop to eat and what should we order? Oh, man. Uh, this is this is challenging. It's honestly it's disappointing because Evanston, I'm like, uh, just like many other communities, been been hit by uh, – but by by the uh, the economic downturn, and seen some restaurants and and different spots that are great in the area. I think you can't go wrong getting getting a slice of deep dish at at Giordano's, Limonati's. I'm a lose guy, uh, but uh, both of them are, are very good and certainly a unique taste of of the Chicagoland area. If you're you know looking for for something different, um, there, there's a few options. There's a great great burger spot called Edzo's in Evanston. There's a great uh, you know Korean. Korean barbecue chicken spot called Ten Q Chicken. That's uh, worth checking out. So, those would be my recommendations. But uh, far from comprehensive. <laughs> well, Kevin, we really appreciate you coming on our show and love the insight. Uh, I definitely love all your efforts on your website. It's been a great resource for Chris and I as we've gone along here. Um, where can our listeners uh, find more of your content? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're really stretched out here in the uh, final couple of days. We've been grinding through everything. So we've got the, the website, cbbcentral.com, where you can find all those conference previews. My podcast, the CBB Central podcast, is on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on all the other podcast platforms. We've been doing some some preview content as well as some, you know, we talked about the NBA draft, talked about some COVID protocols this past week, and also just actually launched a new show uh, that's a live show on YouTube on Periscope 
with uh, Brian Burton, who's a former Division One assistant, and all sorts of different players. We'll be doing it's called College Hoops Coast to Coast on the All Access Sports Media Network, and we're uh, doing a lot of fun stuff there to uh, kind of bring you bring you the analysis of both the coach and a media member during uh, what promises to be an unforgettable uh, college basketball season. So you can check me out in all those places. Okay, yeah, that sounds good, uh, Kevin. We really appreciate having you on, and you know you've had some great insight, and definitely be. Uh, you know, following your website, you know, this season and following your, uh, your, your Twitter feed as well. Absolutely guys. Uh, stay safe and I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. And just want to give a special thanks to, you know, Kevin Sweeney for taking time to join the podcast this week. I know TJ, you know, you and I are both looking forward to hearing his, you know, analysis on both leagues as he takes a lot of time to not only do a preview, but really get in the preview, you know, as right as possible. He takes a lot of time in getting a lot of the, a lot of the insight stories, if you will, and as he said, you know, in the interview, you know, he reaches out to some of the the coaches to try and help him along with his previews to make sure that people are are understanding it down to that, you know, down to the nitty gritty and making sure it's basically, you know, it's right. Yeah, I mean, there's an old adage: if you want something done, get a busy person to do it because they'll fit it in their schedule. And he definitely sounds like that type of person. He's, uh, definitely sounds like still is a student at Northwestern. He's burning the candle at both ends, and just great insight. You know that he was able to. You know, as we gave him the questions, he was very knowledgeable on all those. And to think that he does that for 32 conferences, and he started what do you say back in September? That's a heck of a lot of work while you're still trying to, you know, run your own podcast. You're starting a new show. And on top of that, take classes as well, you know, at, at a major university, sure. academic institution like Northwestern, you know. So uh, kudos to him. And again, it was it was great insight. I love t- talking to him. Got some some really good information. And, then, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to have him back in the future. Yeah. So be sure, you know, he gave his podcast during the interview. So be sure to check that out. You know, if you're interested in, uh, you know listen to college hoops he's got a lot of a lot of stuff going for him so you know give him a listen but with that tj we'll get into some of our you know team brief previews here to round out the show and i'll let you go first tj what i think you have evansville first correct have evansville and illinois state this week so uh evansville preseason mvc projection is 10th place and we know what happened last year the highest of highs and the lowest of lows for the purple aces Went nine and twenty-three overall at 018 in league play and uh lost in the opening round to Valparaiso. You know, I was looking at some of their scores today, and after Coach Licklider took over, there were a lot of games that were um, pretty close. You know, I think uh, they beat they excuse me, they lost to SIU and uh, overtime they had some other games. And you know, scores can be deceptive, but I think when you kind of get in that seven to ten range, I always think that that was probably a lot closer as they came down the, the stretch there because teams start fouling. If, you know, teams at free throws and stuff like that, you know, all of a sudden uh, a three or four point game becomes an eight or 12 point game. So uh, key return returners, Shamar Givens, Noah Frederick, Evan Kuhlman and Jawan Newton. Uh, key losses, obviously DeAndre Williams, who transferred KJ Riley, Sam Cunliffe, who has opted out and John Hall. So, you know, you have to feel for Coach Licklider. I'm sure when he took over, he thought, you know, just get through the rest of the season. We'll have the whole spring and summer and early fall to get ready, you know, to implement a system and get guys buying into his program. And then COVID hits. And, you know, so not only does he lose Sam Cunliffe because of COVID, he hasn't had the chance. So I wonder for him and coaches around the country, how does that slow down their transition time, you know? Um, in terms of getting things into place and things like that. The biggest question, how do they re- replace all that scoring that left in the offseason? Because, I mean, you look at their returners and there's not a lot of scoring that's coming back to them. I know they have uh, high hopes of uh, this Nebraska transfer, Samari Curtis, and they have a uh, Juco transfer, Emmett Page, who averaged 21.9 points per game in, in junior college. So a couple guys that they're hoping can come in and fill those voids that they had. I still see them finishing in 10th place. I think three or four conference wins would be a, a pretty good season for them at this point. You know, I don't see them going 0-18. I think there's some places they can sneak out some wins this year. 
And, uh, you know, Coach LeClaire should be able to, to do that for them. But if they finish with more than four wins, I'd be, I think they'd have to be pretty happy with that on uh, this side of the conference at this point in the year. So how about you? Who did you have first? So the first one I got for this week is Eastern Illinois. And we, you know, we talked about them during the interview with Kevin Sweeney. But EIU coached by Jay Spoonauer, you know, basically having a team that has some of the most experience out of any team at the collegiate level this year. And coming back from last year, the team went 17 and 15, uh, even record in OVC play last year. But the upperclassmen that they have this year, I mean, it's it's some of the best in the country. And that's going to be very key once that first game tips off, you know, in the coming weeks in that MTE with Mar- Marquette, Wisconsin multi-team event. Because uh, I believe that is their first game, which will be taking place in that multi-team event. But they have, I think, nine upperclassmen, you know, eight junior seniors with a grad transfer. And that grad transfer is Sammy Friday from Siena. And, you know, so he's eligible right away. And with all those upperclassmen, you know, basically highlighted by Josiah's, Josiah Wallace, Max Smith, and you have George Dixon, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a very good front court for Eastern Illinois. You know, Jay Spoonauer has been at EIU, you know, you know, for many years. And I think this is going to be his, it's going to be his most experienced team. And I think this team has the best chance to be coach Spoonauer's best team at Eastern Illinois. Now, the only downfall part of that is this is also one of the most top heavy, you know, conferences from the Ohio Valley in years past. You know, you have Austin P, Belmont, Murray State, all going to be up at the top. And then you have teams like Eastern Illinois and Eastern Kentucky that are going to be right there, not far behind. So if there's a team that has a chance to make a run come OVC tournament or knock off a team like Belmont, Austin P, Murray State on the road, I think it's Eastern Illinois. And, you know, I talked about it in the interview with uh, Kevin, but if there's a there's a team that's really experienced going on the road this year, they have as great of a chance to to win a game on the road as the home team does because not many not many teams are going to have fans at the games and if they do, it's not going to be enough to make a dent in that home court atmosphere. It's just not going to be possible this year. Yeah, some some courts and arenas may have more noise or more electric, you know, whatever what have you than others, but more times than not that road team's got as good of a chance to win as that home team, you know, within reason. But looking at Eastern Illinois and, you know, Jay Spoonauer's team, Eastern Illinois was picked to finish fifth in the Ohio Valley this year. They they received 153 points with Eastern Kentucky 20 points ahead, and then it's just, you know, the top three in Austin P. Murray and Belmont. So, yeah, Eastern Kentucky's fourth. And we had Coach Hamilton on earlier this year, and he, you know, he's got high praise for his team. You know, he basically works that team to where they can outwork other teams, get up and down the floor a lot faster. The only difference between Coach Hamilton's team and Coach Spoonauer's, I think Coach Spoonauer's team might have a little bit more depth. So that could be an area where, you know, Eastern Illinois and Eastern Kentucky, if they're both playing head to head, depth might overweigh, you know, the the hustle or or what have you between that those two teams in a matchup but you know other than that i think the top five teams austin p murray belmont eastern kentucky and eastern illinois i think there's gonna be a lot of juggling for position more than what people think you know come ovc tournament time yeah i think just looking at Eastern illinois roster you look at how many seniors there are that you have eight seniors. Obviously, one is Sammy Friday, who's coming in from Siena. But I mean, this really feels like we Coach Spoonauer has built up to sell out for this year or to to bank on this year, for lack of a better term. You know, like this is you know because after this, you've got you know three JUCO transfers as juniors and a freshman and a sophomore. So, but you know, this is that weird year. How many of those guys can you bring back for a second senior year? Uh, yeah. You know, that could be interesting as well. <laughs> Have two years of eight seniors would be uh, pretty impressive. And you know, Coach Spoonauer also has you know Diara, the transfer from SLU, 
and he's he's no small player. He's six foot ten, so he'll have years of experience after this year. But as you said, it looks like Coach Spoonauer and company were going all in this year. You know, with as many seniors as they have. You know, Sammy Friday being that grad transfer who is six foot nine. So with him being that tall, you should he should be able to find some success in the Ohio Valley, especially around the rim, to help the Panthers uh, try and move up those uh, standing projection list. And they could be that team that just, hey, let's try and be third, fourth, fifth going into the conference tournament and see if we can make some noise there if you have a couple stumbles along the way and maybe you, you make your uh, your run there with this group. You know, it's, it's always – coaching, it's always – so hard to get kids to understand what it's like for a senior. But once you become a senior, you understand what the coaches have been saying. Like you're, you're on a short window now. You only have so many games left, and you know you have eight of those guys that are thinking that way, and maybe that changes their perspective as well and uh, brings them together. For sure. So uh, the other team I had was Illinois State. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at the two teams. It, predicted to finish bottoms at the bottom of the league this year. Their uh, MVC projection to finish ninth last year. They were also ninth. They went 10 and 21 overall, five and 13 in league play. And really, I think started out really well for the Redbirds last year. They beat Belmont in, uh, in Bloomington normal. And they also beat a good uh, Arcan- uh, Little Rock, Arkansas team. A UALR, and they even, you know, conference play, they beat Northern Iowa. So you, things are really rolling, but they just could not get anything going on the road. Their only road win all year last year, at least in league play, was against Evansville, their very last game of the season. So, you know, they've got to find a way to win on the road this year, you know, so that you can get a couple of those games when you're not at home. I think there's, you know, it's, it's great that you have good home cooking, but you got to do something on the road as well. So, uh, Key returners, I think everything goes through DJ Horn and Antonio Reeves for their returns. Dedrick Boyd is another big returner. But Keith Fisher, like we talked about in our last show, has opted out. He was their lone senior. Zach Copeland, Ricky Torres, and J.C. Hillsman are all uh, no longer with the program. So it's going to be interesting to see how Coach Muller settles into a rotation with so many fresh faces. And, you know, especially with a guy you were counting on, like Keith Fisher, to be a part of that maybe be a, a calming factor, if you will, a guy that kind of brings them together, your leadership there. So it, it may take a while for these guys to kind of find their footing, adapt to Division One basketball, playing together, playing a lot of minutes together. They're still trying to uh, – they've, they've applied for a, a waiver for UMass transfer side Chapman and – uh, I think I just saw in the last week or two that they still hadn't heard anything. So they're still waiting on that. So the front court without Fisher is going to be pretty inexperienced, but they do have a pair of six ten Juco transfers. And I'm probably going to mess this up and I apologize to the young man, but Dusan Mohorsik and uh, Alex Kotov. Alex Kotov is uh, another Russian player, you know, gamblers like bringing in those uh, players from overseas and had some success with them. So, but again, I think it's DJ Horn and Antonio Reese. Things are going to run through them, but they're going to need to find some help. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to put some wins together in league play so they can avoid Thursday night. And I think that would be what you consider successful for them. I think if Illinois State is not playing until Friday in the Arch Madness tournament, they're, they have to be pretty happy with the season. Um, you know, so it's, it's hopefully for Coach Miller's sake, they can. Um, have some success this year. So I know they're still the, the longest, the program with the longest dry spell having since been to the NCAA tournament. And I know that's something that uh, Redbird fans are not, that's something they don't really like to uh, be reminded of quite often. So that's what I had on those guys. Okay. I also had Eastern Kentucky this week. And, you know, Eastern Kentucky, one of the teams going to be juggling for the, one of those top spots inside the Ohio Valley Conference, coached by E.W. Hamilton. And for others that have listened to the podcast in previous previous weeks, you heard the interview we had with Coach Hamilton. And I'll be the first to tell you, if, if I'm an Eastern Kentucky Colonel fan, I'm very excited about what Eastern Kentucky could be this year or where they could finish. You know, Coach Hamilton, 
overcame his own adversity this year. And if you listen to the interview, you know how he wants to play. If you've watched the games on television, ESPN Plus, nationally televised, wherever, you know how he likes to play. He likes to play small and he likes to play quick. And a lot of that has to do with Jamaru Brown. You know, he's he's the go-to guy for Eastern Kentucky and Coach Hamilton's squad. And seeing how excited Coach Hamilton is for this season really makes you want to be invested into the Colonels' success because seeing the kind of coach that he is, I mean, you he wants nothing but the best for his players, as do all coaches, but the excitement that he feels this year for the Colonels down in Richmond, Kentucky, should have a lot of a lot of EKU faithful, you know, being ready and rev for this season to get going. Yeah, he definitely exudes a lot of energy and, you know, a guy that would seem easy to follow from a young player's perspective. Absolutely. And seeing how, you know, you have Jamari Brown, but I think a lot of, a lot of the Eastern Kentucky success, you know, in the near future is going to have a lot of say on what can Brandon, you know, Napper do coming from, West West Virginia, you know, right. Seeing a guy that's, you know, he may not have had, you know, a ton of minutes at West Virginia. However, he was coached under Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins been around the game a long time. And, you know, really, he's one of my favorite coaches in the college ranks. Yeah, I think there's definitely a perspective that kids are when you play at West Virginia, you know, and playing that big 12 conference, you're you're going to see some really good talent as well. Exactly. And while he may not have had, you know, a lot of playing time in West Virginia, he knows Coach Hamilton. You know, he knows about Coach Hamilton from his time at Hargrave Military Academy, where Coach A.W. Hamilton basically started his coaching career, which in the interview, you know, we talked about it. He said it's basically like a, you know, a college program. It's basically like that preparatory uh program so basically every player going into that uh, academy they're all getting them division one scholarship offers so i think the experience there will also help you know boost his uh ability at eastern kentucky but really it comes down to you know how can they fare this year with how quick they play you know we saw them in the ohio valley conference tournament last year they made a run and they gave teams all they wanted they had some some wins that uh, fans or analysts may not have saw happening because they were so depleted, but that's what coach Hamilton tries to instill in his team. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to work their butt off at practice. It might not be the, the most fun practice by doing a lot of conditioning, but it's, it pays dividends once you're in that game situation against a, you know, another team. And you saw that in the OVC tournament last year, you know, I think they only had like seven or eight players, but it, right. it, it didn't matter. They were they were sticking with them, and each player on that team was as conditioned as anybody else on the other team, with having more minutes played than the other team, and you know, just obviously less less time on the bench. Right, and you know, uh, like Kevin said, you might we might run into these situations where all of a sudden you have to play back to back games. And while I think initially you think, well, that doesn't work in Eastern Kentucky's favor, it might work more in their favor. Can you imagine playing those guys two nights in a row? Or even if, hey, we had to play a game last night, now Eastern Kentucky's coming in here after they've just played last night too. So, you know, it becomes a culture, you know, having seen some of those programs that like to run like that, they just it's just second nature to them. And the big thing that happens is – Sometimes when you're in that program, you might think that, well, we need to call timeout, but you just want to keep running. You know, those teams, they, they put up a couple shots on you. All of a sudden, you get an easy basket because they're slow getting back, and that, that takes away that process of having to call a timeout and slow your team down and, and talk about things or letting the other team get even more uh, confidence in the run that they're having as your opponent if you're Eastern Kentucky. So it'll be, it'll be an exciting team to watch for sure. And, uh, you know, they've got kids that are going to be putting in minutes, you know, up and down their lineup, you know, they'll probably go what five or six deep on their bench. I would guess, Mm -hmm. you know, with these transfers from West Virginia and Charlotte and, uh, you know, it'll be really, I think, again, like you said, an exciting team to watch for Eastern Kentucky fans. Yeah. It it seems to be on the up and up. They started 
three and ten last year. Not a great start, but they ended up with twelve league wins and really got things rolling by the time conference play got there. And uh, you know, I'm interested to see and excited for Eastern Kentucky and Coach Hamilton to see how things play out this year. Yeah, for sure. But with that, that'll that'll basically wrap up the show for this week, TJ. Uh, do you have any final thoughts here? Nope. We'll just uh, start counting the minutes here any day and uh, be ready to go, and hopefully we get to see plenty of college basketball. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, we don't have anything nailed out just yet about our next uh, interview, but we have been in you know talks with some of the you know Ohio Valley coaches, at least on my end, uh, for interviews you know in the coming weeks. So hopefully we can get get one of those nailed down and bring you that uh, that interview. Hopefully you know two uh, basically two episodes away. So looking forward to it. Uh, I don't have anything else to add, TJ. Just, you know, hope everyone continues to stay safe and college hoops and Thanksgiving right around the corner. Can't wait. So for TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 24 here on View of the Valleys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.